Welcome back. I'm Gary Parr. And I'm Beth Ellicott. And you're listening to Fiber Talk, the twice-weekly podcast for the needlework artists. Our artists this week, Robin and Rosignol. Robin, welcome. Hello, everyone. Uh, thanks for doing this with us. We're gonna. This is going to be a little different. Robin is not your traditional designer. I don't even know if you do all that much designing at all, but uh, extensive stitching experience. And so we decided that we're going to do a show, and we're just going to talk about different aspects of stitching and learn from Robin and throw out some tips and ideas and practices and, uh, yeah, just have some fun talking about needlework. So if you're listening, um, it might be good to get a pen and paper out because you might want to make a note or two. And, and ooh, based on our conversation before the show, uh, you also might want to sit on the credit card because it may cost you a dollar or two. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've already, already started taking notes. So Yeah, Bess not, already spent some money and we hadn't even started recording. So <laughs> It's bad. It's bad. So the topic before we start. So, Robin, thank you for doing this. The topic before we started was uh, we got into the linen thing and quality of linen and over dyes. And what what were you saying, Beth, about uh, um, who who was that? Uh, it well, I was they stitched me. I was yes. the last thing I talked about. We were looking at their fabrics, and I have a piece of gingerbread that's forty count, and it's gorgeous. But you were thinking you'd like it if it were not so modeled, right? But uh, but I think the problem with getting something on forty count is that if you're going to do a sampler that has what they call, you know, the specialty stitches in it, they disappear on the 40 count. Um, you can't see them. And, and Robin, you were discussing that it, it needed a, you needed like a, like a 28 count. Wouldn't you say? 28 to 32. Yeah. Yeah. Because for it to work, you just lose them. Don't you think? Yes, and where I love doing mixed technique samplers, um, so sometimes I'll have black work bands, hard anger bands, uh, fillet lace, reticella. I've got one right now that's going to have some reticella in it or fillet lace. I haven't decided which way I want to go. Um, you you need a, a certain size to so you can have the details show. I, yeah, I so much agree because I think – I know I did a little piece where I did a tiny little hem stitch and it was on 45 count and you can't, you can't see it. I mean, and I pulled out, you know, several threads to get the hem stitch in and have that, you know, that little piece of thread there. So you could kind of see, so it kind of looks lacy on the edge was the idea, but what a pain on the 45 count. Um, It would have been so much nicer. It would have looked so much prettier, I think on a 32 count where you could really see the hem stitch work that I had done. Now, see, that's an interesting thing because when it comes to cross stitch, I just buy 40 count blindly. I don't, I really, I don't really, I'll stitch on higher uh, most of the time. I really don't want to stitch on anything lower because I, 40 count I like, and I'd like to just use one strand, but so all right, so I got those three uh, sampler charts from the uh, sampler, which are uh, mixed stitches and all kinds of things. Now, normally I would just buy forty count and go for it, but that's interesting. Now I've got to take a look at those and see if by going at forty count, then I am sacrificing the visual detail that is in that chart. That's interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I think I think so because if you're um, if you're going to pull threads out, you know, you have to, I think you have to pull more to get that visual look. Um, I know, um, Mabel took, um, which has queen stitches in it. Um, people were stitching it on 40 count and Kim was saying it would have, you know, it, it, that's pretty, but you're going to lose that queen stitch, mm. which is such a pretty, I think is a pretty stitch when it's stitched up. I mean, you can do it on 40 count. I've done the stitch on 40 count but it i think you, you it gives a better visual impact if you do it on a you know a slightly um, lower count linen so you know 32 count 
would be nice. I don't know. It's I, I, I don't I'm, I agree with you, though. I like stitching with just one thread. So that's why I like the 40 count and the 37 count. OK, so I can. Yeah, I can see that because a queen stitch at 40 count even with a single strand would it just gets all jumbled up it's just a lump sitting there because you can't get spacing in the interior of the stitch right huh yeah and that's also the issue when you're doing drawn thread work or hem stitching um a hem stitched band especially if there's a filler in that band um on these smaller counts you lose your detail you lose what makes makes that band interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I never really had thought about that before. And I've done um, band samplers that have like that hem stitch where I don't know what it's called, where you twist the the middle threads um, so it mm-hmm. kind of then and sometimes if you even put a bead in there, well, you wouldn't really be able to do that on a forty forty five count. I mean, I guess you could, but you really would lose all that because it'd be such a small area. You'd have to make it bigger so it has a visual, you know, withdraw more threads so you could see it. And on the 40 count, even using a petite bead might be too big. Right. Right. And you they only make portions. Right. And, it, and they only make the beads so small anymore. So. True. Which is so sad. Yeah. Okay. This yeah, this is opening my my mind a little bit because I I mean I just I just blindly buy like I said and don't even think about it. But okay, now with these charts coming, I got to take a look. So then, all right. So Cindy or not Cindy, but uh, Robin. Uh, sorry. Uh, uh, then how how what's your experience? Congress cloth versus say eighteen count canvas. Um, it depends on what I'm doing and, and if I'm being lazy, (laughs) (laughs) um, the thing with Congress cloth is you have to remember, especially if you're taking an existing pattern and it calls for things that are equivalent to a size five pearl cotton, that's going to be a little bulky on your Congress cloth. So you'll need to look at size eights and for something size 12. Um, when I say lazy, I don't like to lay threads. I will do it. And I know how to do it. But multiple strands, if I can get away with using a single strand or switching to a thread that I can use a single strand and achieve the same effect, that's what I do. Yeah. Um, It's easier to lay on Congress Congress cloth because you don't need as many strands to get coverage. So you you get a smoother look. Oh, I didn't think of that. That is a great point. We're getting ready to do EGA's, I think it's called Shimmering Dreams. It's their EGA group correspondence course. And people are looking at using 18 count because they think it's, it, well, it is. It's easy to find 18 count canvas. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were kind of wondering how hard it'd be to find the right color of Congress cloth. But I think I'm going to send a note out saying, hey, you'll have to lay fewer threads. And one of the gals who's doing this hasn't done a lot of needle points. So this is all a new experience for her. And so the fewer threads she has to lay, the happier she may be because <laughs> it does, yeah. it does. That's part of the, um, what you're learning. You're learning how to shade using silks. Um, so you need a strandable, you can't use a single yeah. thread. You're going to yeah. need something that's strandable, a cotton or um, silk. Oh, in my A and G chapter. We did summer fireworks two years ago, and now we're doing autumn fireworks. I'm, I don't remember the designer, but they were free patterns. Um, it's a woman in Australia. And she specifically said Congress cloth. And it was just much easier to get beautiful coverage with three strands. Mm-hmm. And on some of her diagonal stitches, two strands of silk, over-dyed silk, were sufficient and there you don't even need a laying tool you can railroad them right yeah yeah and that's and that's good to keep in mind when you're you know changing something up you know because it this design obviously can be done on 
18 count if you want to, but you're right. You have to use more, more strands of floss and the more strands you put in, the more carefully you have to lay them. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because I don't think people give a lot of thought other than color to the ground cloth in relation to their design. You know, I, I want that color and the threads are going to show up on it uh, well or that or that was just specified. And so that's what I'm going with. But, uh, you know, now we, we've got personal preference and type of stitches and how they're going to show become, I think, even more of a factor than just uh, you know, this is what I like. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so we got to start with a ground cloth. So there's several decisions to be made with the ground cloth. And then now I was just putting together threads to uh, do the Botany Bay um, sampler and had uh, Kim at Sassy Jacks had put together a, a list of Cosmo threads and if, in some, there's some DMC, but that was the next step for me was, all right, I get all these threads organized. Are they going to show up on the ground cloth? And I identified three that that don't, it looks like it's going to be a problem, but you really can't tell you to stitch them. So now I got, you know, I've got three, I've got a little little note there that says, you know, when we get to these three colors to check, because it, it's... Uh, and that gets and that gets into this whole discussion of color, and will will they stand out from the ground cloth? Will they stand out more than you want them to? Do you kind of want them to blend in? And then how do they look stitched versus on the skein, versus how do they look stitched next to each other? And you know, I mean, those are all decisions that a lot of times a designer will make if you're just going to execute what the designer put together. But, you know, sometimes I think even that needs to be evaluated. You're right on that, because I'm stitching um, a Debbie Rowley piece called Fun Stuff. And um, she did, I had a lot of the threads that she called for. So I was able to pull them and really get a feel for her shades and her color families. But I changed my, the overdyed and I changed the, because of that, the color families changed. So when you change colors or you think something isn't going to show up, yes, you have to, where is it used? How is it used? What are the colors it's next to? Some of yours that you think um, will disappear because of the fabric may be fine because they're not, they're surrounded by something else. Yes, right. Um, So in, in changing a piece, especially for counted canvas work, I spend a fair amount of time studying the pattern. And looking at placement and what is it. And and there's a a square that I've done in there that I like the colors I use. I don't like the weight of thread. So I'm going to order the size 8 pearl cotton instead of the 5 that she size that she was using. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, too, it's too bulky and clunky, I think. Yeah. Well, and, and that's, yeah, that's the thing. And that's why I said on this sampler that I just identified these three colors because just laying the skeins on the ground cloth, it didn't look like they were going to show up. But yeah, I've had that, well, we've all had that experience where uh, it may be uh, close to what the ground cloth is, but where it's stitched and what it's surrounded, maybe it's mm-hmm. it's just enough color, but then it adds the texture in that area that uh, uh, that you need. So you leave it alone and yeah, you have to, Make those calls on the fly, I think. Or, or well, yeah, I, I mean, I, they, I do for me. That's, you know, I, all right, I, now let me evaluate this and no, this isn't going to work. I'll change it. But, uh, but yeah, now thickness of thread is another thing. Um, it's, this, this is where, for me, it gets fun because there's, there's a lot of decisions to be made uh, beyond just simply how am I going to do the stitch. And I find on counted canvas... I like a more open, lacy look. I am not afraid to have that canvas show. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes I will intentionally go to 
a smaller thread. Use less strands. I find I do that a lot um, because I, I understand a lot of the stitches. And um, there was a piece I worked recently where she was having you use four strands of um, silk or cotton. And it was a diagonal stitch. And even on 18 count, you don't need four strands to give you good coverage. Mm-hmm. So I dropped it down to three. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not only does it save thread, but three is a lot, as we said earlier, three is a lot easier to handle. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. Right. Easy to play and get them smooth, you know, if yep. that's what you're trying to do. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes, you know, depending on your tension, you, you might have to bulk up. Some people, you know, and they're, you know, had the comment that, you know, oh, it says only use three strands, but I don't like how it looks. So, so add a fourth strand. It, it's not going to make, make or break you if you add an extra one. Get it so you like how it looks. Or like you were doing, you were going down a size um, on the pearl cotton. So maybe someone's got a really thin pearl cotton and you want it bulkier. Go up a size. You know, that's, that's an easy fix. Really? And it, this is one of the things when I when I teach, as well as just in talking to uh, my friends who stitch. Remember, it's your piece. Do you like it? Right. And if you don't like it, change it. Once you buy that pattern, it's not the designer's property anymore. And I I have run into designers who have issues with this. Um, <laughs> they don't want you making any changes to their pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then there are others like Debbie Rowley who says it's yours. How do you see this? What's your vision for this piece? And I think that's one of the things that that I enjoy about doing a painted canvas. Once you buy the canvas, what stitches you use and threads are up to you. What's your vision for this piece? Yeah, yeah. For so many, that's a hard hurdle to get over. They just, they almost feel a, an obligation to execute what the designer put down, and uh, I, I don't know I don't know what the psychology of that is, but I think some people feel like I'm going to get in trouble if I show this and I changed it, and uh, uh, no, you're not. Um, even if, if even if the designer gets upset, too bad. Uh, it's your piece. It's your time. Your stitching. Your threads. Your money. Do it the way you like it. Yeah. But don't you I also started think changing things. I started changing things with band samplers because they're the easiest to change. Um, and I'm I'm looking at a piece right now that there was a band in it of um, that I didn't like, and I went and found a, a blackwork pattern um, of pomegranates and grapes, and that's what I stitched as that band instead. Um, that's the other thing. You know, you have to like it. You have to like the colors. Um, I know people who won't buy a pattern because it's in colors they don't like. <laughs> yeah. And you need to train yourself to look past the colors in the pattern. But what is the pattern? Especially with uh, county canvas. The photo that I sent you of the little purple piece, mm-hmm. Gary, yeah, that was the ugliest thing I had ever seen when I picked up the, <laughs> the pattern. It was moss. It was done on sage green canvas in moss greens and these dirty reds. <laughs> and in the center of that piece was this stump ugly red ceramic button. Mm-hmm. Now, because of the age of the pattern, I knew I was never going to be able to find the button in the first place. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So it was okay. But I loved the pattern. It had pulled work in it on canvas. It was like, yes. Um, And it had this really cool border that she had done with an overdyed. Another big yes for me. Yeah. And I bought the pattern put it away and one day was going through and went, hmm, I had a piece, I had a piece of the lilac colored canvas and I went to my collection of Karen threads and I went through it and I went, 
I went, oh, when I came across the thread called yellow fever. Mm-hmm. Purple, orange, yellow, and green. And I was off. <laughs> I pulled the purple pearl cottons to do the rest of it. I had the lime green beads that I needed in the piece. And in the middle, I did silk ribbon tulips in orange. Mm-hmm. Um, All right. And I've, I've done that on other pieces. There'll be one part. Well, Needle Delights. She had a, a series of logs based on a log cabin. I loved her boo logs. I love the colors she used in it. But in the center, she just backstitched the word boo. And I went, yuck. <laughs> I went and found this really cool black cat button from just another button company. And it fit beautifully in the middle. Well, well let's stop real quick because I think the, your, the piece you're talking about with the tulips. Um, okay, so I think that has a little to do with color theory and having a DMC color card and a yes. color wheel. So like, so when you think of, you know, the purple isn't, is orange, orange is the complement, right? Or is it yellow? Yellow. So it's one off. From, yep. um, I don't have my color wheel in front of me, but that's what it is. So, so purple, it's yellow. So if you have that color wheel and you scooch it over to that, now it's, it was in your over dyes, but people were probably thinking, well, why didn't she do the tulips in purple? Cause it's all purple. I mean, the, the orange looks perfect. And I, and I think, but that has to do with color theory. Don't you think why you chose that orange instead of maybe a purple? There was, and looking at the balance of the piece, Mm -hmm. one, I did want the middle to be somewhat of a focal point. Um, But the other thing, there was a lot of purple because all of the squares that are pulled work out around it are done in purple. The outlining of those squares is in purple. So I needed something else. And um, part of it was um, I had silk ribbon in the right colors to do that. I had the right greens and I had the right oranges. And it and it does just pop on the on the canvas. It look is it does focus. You you look at the border. You look around at the pulled work stitches, but your eye goes back to the center with the tulips and the in the orange. And that so you know, bravo, well done. And what helps that is, um, excuse me, I'm getting it out of the closet. <laughs> is the border the border out around it? is just a simple slanted stitch done in the overdyed. Mm-hmm. So that helps draw your eye into that middle. I'll be sure and include this photo in all the things that we put up uh, so people can see mm-hmm. it. But see, this, mm-hmm. you know, this all gets back to one of, my, one of my great pet peeves is HGTV. And Mar- Marga watches it all the time. And uh, she she enjoys it. She gets ideas from that. And uh, we're remodeling a half bath at the moment that, uh, you know, with with ideas. And, you know, and and it works out great. But the part that annoys me is people buying a house and they walk in and, you know, there's a blue wall. Oh, I can't live here. I can't, not that blue wall. Paint it. You know, uh, I can't, oh, these doors have panels on them. I have to have a solid door. Change them. And yeah. and you think nothing you're you're not buying the blue wall or the doors or you know the the colonial windows or you know I don't know all the terms and I really don't care you're not that's not what you're buying you're buying a structure that fits your style of living and gives you the space and the flow and in many ways when you buy a design that's what you're buying is you're buying the house and then how you paint the walls and how you decorate it is your business. And to me, it's, it's the same kind of thing. And, and then, so you take that approach and, and say, all right, uh, like when you said, how many people don't buy a chart because they don't like the colors? Well, that Same thing with a house. You know, if they're all yellow walls, but you like the house, then paint them. Um, change the colors. And you know, yeah, get your color wheel out and, and go to work. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, and it's a fear, don't you think, of of changing those things? I think that's what I hear the most that people are, of. We were when we we're discussing this EGA class, and it's like, oh, how am, I don't like these colors, but I'm, I don't want to change them. You know, I, I'm afraid to change them, and so we were, we kind of went through some suggestions, like, okay, so 
go to the big box. There's, there's not a lot of needlework stores around. So go to the big box stores and look and see which DMC colors you like. I forgot about saying, do you have, don't you have, do you have a DMC color card, which is the easiest way to do it because there they are, you know, grouped together because you're going to need a, a dark and a, a medium, I think, um, for colors in two different shades. But, you know, it's, you know, look at the colors, look at what's available and pick the one, pick the colors you like, and then think about a color wheel. Think about what would look good next to each other, what looks good together. I, I think a color wheel is, is, is important. And as is a, as is the DMC color card, you know, and, and the one with the it actual threads on it. Over the fear. I'm sorry. It also helps you get over the fear of changing the color because mm-hmm. you can see, you know, what is, what's a triangular, what's a tetradic, what are contrasting. Um, and the DMC color card I use in a variety of ways. Um, one, if I don't have a thread in a shade I want, I find the closest DMC color, and then I can contact a shop and say, I'm looking for neon rays, and it needs to be close to this DMC color. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I've that's... taken stains with me when I'm clothing shopping because I'm looking for something to match something. <laughs> and it's easier than trying to bring the piece of clothing. <laughs> I talk to my mother in DMC colors. When we're discussing her quilts. <laughs> the universal language, because that it's DMC. something we both have in common, and we can visually see mm-hmm. this is what we're talking about. No, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm terrible at, at colors, and I have the, uh, the DMC, the threaded DMC chart, and I'm amazed at how often I have that thing out. And, I mean, I'm just awful at it. But it is such a good tool to have, uh, when, you know, changing colors or, or trying. Like if you you've got an anchor thread or a DMC thread, and you want to you, you want to try an anchor or a, uh, an over dye or something. Boy, it's so valuable. Right. The Change other thing too is that there are a lot of conversion charts out there available. Uh, Rainbow Gallery used to do a bunch uh, for their different threads. And and they would list the DMC color that it was closest to. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I found that for my Yuki beads and something else recently that I was kind of surprised. But it made it so much easier because yeah. I have these threads and now I can see what color it's going to be. Yep. When you're choosing right. colors, Robin, do you go with? Do you have a, a comfort zone that you like to stay in, or do you stretch yourself? It depends on my I knew, mood. I knew that was the answer. It depends. I knew that. <laughs> it depends. Um, it, it, it all depends. I, I look at it this way. I say, what's talking to me today? Mm-hmm. Um, if it's a, a pattern that has an overdyed, I pull out my overdyes and I start looking. And what's grabbing my attention um, in, in solids? I'll tell you colors. I, the colors I tend not to use a lot. Unless I'm stitching penguins, are black and white and gray and red. I don't do much with red because it's a color I can't wear. Mm. Um, I will put it in pieces, and I do have a nice selection of red threads. Um, and on a painted canvas, that doesn't bother me. Red is fine, you know. Um, but um, other than that, anything is open. My my. My favorite color is paisley, but that's another story. Um, <laughs> I do a lot with the te- with the blue greens and the green blues. Uh-huh. Pink, any shade of pink. Um, green to me, I treat as a neutral because Mother Nature puts it with everything. I have no fear of using oranges and yellows and the hot colors, the cool colors. It doesn't matter. They're all they're all good, as a friend of mine says. That interests me that you'll use pinks, but you don't really care to use reds. Yeah, I, I, burgundy, burgundy is wonderful. Any shade of pink because those are colors I can wear. Okay. But a true red, ugh, no. <laughs> I stitch pieces with them. I do. It's my mother's favorite color. <laughs> but not for oh, you. I will stitch. 
red, no problem. And like I said, on a painted canvas, that doesn't bother me. Red is fine on a painted canvas. Um, painted canvases, those need to speak to me. The canvas itself has to be a design I really like. Um, part of that is the expense. They're yeah. not cheap. Right. They Where, whereas with a counted canvas, it's the pattern. It has nothing to do with the colors. It's the pattern. Because chances are I'm going to change the colors. And, and so so that is almost a, an automatic with counted canvas for you? I've done a few exact. Debbie Raleigh ranks up there as someone who I will occasion will half the time do her colors. Okay. I've done two of hers in exactly her colors because I fell in love with them. Mm -hmm. um, the, at Needle Delights is another one. The interesting thing with Needle Delights on a lot of her patterns, she gives you other colorways. And so sometimes I'm not doing the primary, but I'm doing one of her other colorways because okay. it speaks to me. Yeah. yeah and, and, and her pieces are so unique because they, they use a lot of over dyes together. And she just does so, such a good job of combining those. That's what makes those so much fun, I think. Yep. Her Tuscan Sunset, I used one of her, I don't think it was the primary. I think it was one of the alternatives. Um, and again, she probably had eight to 10 different overdites in it. I just I, finished her Bora Bora because it took me a while to find all the threads. That was one that I wanted to do in her original colorway because it just screamed. It was bright turquoise, yellows, orange, lime green. It was all these hot tropical colors. Now, Beth, you, Beth, you'll uh, red. I mean, red for you is, is yeah, you're all yeah, about it. But it, do you do do you find yourself staying in a comfort zone or do you try to stretch? I, I tend to stay in a comfort zone when it comes. I was looking at my the canvases that I've done where I've changed the colors and I, I tend to stay towards like the teal or turquoisey blue and then a green to magenta colorway. And I I mean I'm just thinking, you know, I tend to stay there because that's where I'm comfortable picking colors. Even though I'll change things to red in cross stitch, I don't do it as much in needlepoint for some reason. And I don't I don't know why that is. Maybe because it's harder red does scream at you. So if you put red in something, your eye goes to it. So you have to be careful where you use it because it will draw your eye immediately. Yeah. And so I, I was looking at my needlepoint pieces that I've stitched where I've changed the colors and I, I tend, tend towards one side of the color wheel. I don't go to the, um, the orange, yellow, red field when I change colors. If, I, if I'm doing something in an analogous color scheme. In fact, I'm looking at something now and I'm thinking, oh, those colors, that would be nice for my, my new project. I'm going to have to find, um, <laughs> find these threads and these colors. But, um, yeah, I tend to stay the same. Yeah. And, and you, don't you, do you stay pretty much blues? Oh, I, yeah, I do. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, it, it's, and I know it's, it's, well, you know, 60 some odd years, 67 years of, of just being a failure at colors that, uh, the blue world is, I'm comfortable there. I see it well. Um, you know, so I, I, I said on a previous podcast the other, uh, when I was putting together some threads, oh, it was for this Botany Bay thing and I, I needed, uh, a, a green. And so I pulled out some, uh, some greens and I went to Margaret and I said, I, I need to match, you know, here, here's a whole bunch of, of variations that are close. I need to match this one as close as possible. Help me pick it out. And there were like eight different skeins. <clears throat> and she looked down and she picked up one skein. And she said, well, this one's red, so this is out. And, you know, and, and here I am at, at 60, well, 68 years old. And, and so I took it over to the window and sure enough, it was red. But in standard room light, it started to become a green to me. And so, yeah, it 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 just, I think it, quite frankly, I'm sure it just scares me. And it's a childhood trauma thing, you know. Jumbo eight crayons, I had to memorize them to get through school without being laughed at. 
And uh, so, yeah, so I end up blues. That's where I end up almost all the time unless someone helps me. And because I'm and, and it, you know, I, I can see the colors, but I'm afraid. I'm, I'm literally I'm, I'm sure it is. If I sat down with a psychologist, you know, that's all <laughs> would come out is I'm simply afraid to go elsewhere because I know I'm going to get tripped up. And uh, so I, you know, I'll just yeah, I stay in the blues. I'm fine. Thank you. <laughs> and I I find well, with your colorblindness, that's understandable. Um, but the other thing is that the members of my A&G chapter know that they can come to Cindy or I with um, when they want to change colors. Mm-hmm. Because we just see things differently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I look at patterns and see potential. You know, for colors um, first. Um, it's like I'm sitting here and I realize I've, I've done white work samplers. I've never stitched them all in white. <laughs> I'll sneak in a little overdyed, some very subtle lots of times, but I'll sneak in some overdyed silk or a, a little touch of color. Yep. And see, and I'm sure that's why white work appeals to me, always has. Because, uh, you know, I can just enjoy the texture and the technique and the process, and color is, is a non-factor. And I, I remember one time, I, uh, I, I don't remember what design it was of Debbie Raleigh's. And when I looked at it, I thought, ooh, bla- blacks, grays, and whites would be beautiful with this design. So I, and I actually have, I bought all the threads and spec'd it all out, uh, blacks, grays, and whites, and I was having some conversation with her, and she said, "Don't you, you need a color in there? You need a, like a red or something." And she's probably right, but no, in my mind, no, I'm good. <laughs> Just, <laughs> you know, black and white photos is fine with me. I'm okay. Yeah. And yet, and one I, of her diamond delights was whites and go- whites, creams, and gold. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I stitched it in shades of pink. Hmm. From pale all the way to screaming magenta. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. No, it's uh, uh, colors. Yeah, but that's like you said, like you and Cindy. Now, uh, yeah, some people and some of those designers out there, how did you make those colors work? And they do because they just see it. Uh, you know, Gay Ann Rogers is, <clears throat> is one of my favorites. She just She just sees these colors and knows how to make them work and, uh, just way over my head. Yeah. Well, Orna yeah. Oh, there's one. Yes. Oh, yes. how does she do that I'm, time after time after time? Oh, yeah. She had a free pattern on her website for a while called molecules of fiber. And I was intrigued by it. So I went and pulled the overdides that she was using. And I remember standing in the shop, looking at them going, this is either going to be really cool or it's going to be stump ugly. <laughs> and it turned out to be just really cool once I got into it. She, Yeah, she she blows, it just blows me away every time. She puts together colors that, what are you doing? And there they are. Perfect. Yep. Yeah. Just no a great color. Yeah, great color sense. Well, and the other thing I was thinking about, too, is for people who are afraid of color um, is, is it Trisha Trish Burr's color confidence mm-hmm. that she has silk shading, but she has the DMC colors stitched together. So she's already done the hard work. She knows it's like, okay, these colors go together. So taking a baby step saying, okay, well, I like this color combination that she used in the silk shading. I'm going to use these DMC colors I'm going to translate them into different threads, maybe, and use them as my jumping off point for a needlepoint piece. Because she's already done that hard work. She's looked at the, you know, you know, they work because you can see it. You know, she's she's done it. And, you know, I was just thinking of even trying that with my this piece that I'm going to do. I'm like, you know, I'm not sure what colors I want to use. So. Maybe I'll go look through that book and see if any of those color combinations jump out at me. Because it does, this piece doesn't call for an overdyed. 
And if it was an overdyed, that would be easy. You'd pick an overdyed that you loved and go pick the threads backwards from that, pulling from it. But can you sneak an overdyed in? I haven't really checked out the pattern. The, you, maybe like in the centerpiece, there's um, there's crescents that she puts in some sort of um, metallic shiny thread. And I was thinking of changing that thread anyway. So it's like, hmm, mm -hmm. maybe that's a, that would be a good place to put it too. And I, but yeah. I don't know. Most of the other places you're part of the is to is to learn how to shade, you know, go from dark to light and then back out to dark again, I think is part of this project. So the other thing that works well also is to do a, just a pencil drawing of whatever it is and then get out your colored pencil mm. and a pencil drawing. Most of our printers, you can make copies so you can make several copies of it. And then start coloring in to see what plays well next to each other. Yes. Do you want high contrast? Do you want it more subtle? Um, I did a color class for our chapter. Um, I've done it twice because we've had new newer members come in. And one of the things we do is we take um, just some basic quilt blocks. And I tell them, okay, here's the trite. You need to do a triadic colorway, so three colors, um, using your color wheel. And your primary color in this pattern needs to be, and then I will assign purple. Or it's usually colors that the people at the table don't like to stitch in hmm. to get them over that little hurdle. Yeah, and, and it's, it's, it's painless. It, it, you're not spending as much time as if you're using threads. Um, and you have to rip it back out because it doesn't work. It's just pencil and paper and a little time. All right, going to shift gears here. Okay. Robin, when you sent uh, material, uh, items for us to talk about, one of the statements you made was esoteric techniques and why it's important to teach them. What do you mean by that? I do a lot of techniques that are no longer mainstream Although one of them, Swedish weaving, is making a resurgence. Um, my Tenerife lace, which I talked about in, in July, uh, even black work isn't that common anymore. Um, my philosophy is this, and I started teaching these techniques because that's the only way they're going to be preserved. And I will do a class for just one person. Uh-huh. That is not an issue to me. Um, so I, I have a, 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 a small guest towel that I designed a Swedish weaving pattern for. And when I'm designing to teach, I'm distilling it down to the basic elements, the basic stitches for the, that particular technique. Um, there were three that I found very common in, in Swedish weaving. There were three foundation stitches that I found in pulled work. Um, pattern darning, it's a straight stitch. So there it's it's more just about the technique and how fun it can be. Yeah. Um, the fillet lace, the biggest part there really isn't the filling. It's about how to set up the fabric to get that open grid that you need to then stitch on. Um but it's important to teach these techniques. The chicken scratch that I do. Yeah. You know, if you don't continue to teach them, whether it's in your guild or through, um, Cindy and I have taught through the local libraries. We also are teaching now through one of the recreation departments in a, in a local city here. Just get it out there, get it seen. The other thing with that, too, is if you have a county or the state fair, like we do here in Iowa, and they have categories for needlework, put the, put your pieces in so other people can see what's out there, what can be done. There is a Swedish weaving category in um, 
counted thread in that division. There is a pulled work category, hard anger, as well as multiple categories in the cross-stitch division. That's its own division. Yeah. Um, mixed techniques, you know, where you're doing multiple things. The, the purple piece that we talked about earlier, that went into the category, the class of mixed techniques, because it was pulled work, needlework, beading, and then I had the silk ribbon in there. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, imp- I mean, I, I agree with you hundred percent. It's important to keep these things alive and you look back in history and, and when people haul out these 12th, 13, 14, 15th century pieces and dissect them and figure out how they stitched them. And you really wonder how much needlework technique stitches approaches, whatever has been lost through history and uh, you know the internet has just opened up so many worlds for us in terms of of sharing, and uh, I, I love when people take you know put together books. I don't care how narrow the topic, but just to uh, document a a technique or an approach or a style that uh, is you know could be lost forever just because the people who did it eventually die and then nobody's carried it on. I think one of the the neatest things that DMC ever did was re-releasing that that encyclopedia of work by Therese de Dilmont. Yeah. There are so many techniques in there. There's I go through it. I was looking for something in it the other day and I went, oh, I forgot that was in here. Oh, that is so cool. <laughs> No, that's the that's thing. Yeah, that something. stuff doesn't get old. It it's it's old, but it doesn't get old. It still works. She has some beautiful hem stitching bands in there. Um, she even had macrame. <sighs> A whole section on macrame. Yep. Which is coming back. Yes, I know. I know, and I re- I mean, because I did macrame. Um, it's a fun in the seventies. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who did those, uh, those plant hangers and those owls? I could whip up an owl so quick. <laughs> but but the other yeah. interesting thing to me is the um is the it's the lace work like the reticella and the like you were saying and and learning how to people are really curious how to do the hem stitch you know because they um, they realize on the antique samplers some of them that's how they finish the edges. And so there's been kind of a resurgence and, well, how is that done? Um, I, you know, you, you hear inquiries about that one. Um, it's, and, and it's fun to do um, the drawn thread to pull. It's kind of scary the first time you do it, when you cut your threads and you pull them out and then you add stitches in, but there's something it just looks so beautiful um, once yeah. you've done it. The effect of that, of those techniques is stunning. It really is. And I have a few antique pieces, um, some of which I bought for inspiration and some just because they were too beautiful to pass up with a lot of that work in it. And they were done on regular cloth. They weren't done on anything that you can easily count. No. Yeah. I, my mom has hanging in the guest room where I stayed um, the lace that I think it was my, my aunt's made. Um, and it was made with, my mom says it was made with cotton flower sacks because they didn't have any money. And it's just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um and they they just would carefully withdrew the threads and then did this beautiful lace work within it. And I remember them trying to teach me. They only spoke Spanish. They spoke a little English and I spoke a little Spanish. So it was a very interesting class. And I still have that piece where they taught me how to withdraw the threads and then re-stitch those little stitches in there. <laughs> and 
a fa- very fond memory of sitting there and laughing and laughing because we couldn't understand each other and just having a great time. But, you know, if we don't teach those techniques, they're going to go, you're right, they're going to go away. Robin, when you're teaching, what, uh, what advice can you offer people who are taking classes to get the most out of the class? Do you, where do people fall short? What, what do you wish they would do to maximize the class? Is it follow up afterwards? Is it asking questions and not being afraid to ask questions? Where do people really miss out? Um, always ask questions and, and don't be afraid. Uh, you're there to learn and the teacher is aware of that. Um, the, the One of the things that we find that Cindy and I both found most challenging sometimes is just getting the needle threaded. Mm. Um, because especially like with the Swedish weaving where I'm working with a size five pearl cotton on a towel that has a uh, 14 count linen insert, uh, Ada band insert. The hardest thing there was for people to see the floats and to understand what that was. And so what I will do there is go around and with my needle pick up to show them and then turn the piece over so that they see the needle hasn't gone through the fabric. Mm-hmm. And there isn't another good way to do that other than in a, with a small group yeah, and go to several groups if it's a large class. Um, the other big challenge, we get people who are true beginners and reading the pattern. So there it's just a lot of personal attention. It's walking around. It's seeing what each one is doing. Um, it's encouraging offer encouragement and I find that you'll have some people in the class who get it right away it, it just comes naturally to them and then there are others who struggle um, and for a lot of them I find it struggle to understand the pattern and to read the pattern yeah. hmm. right uh, yeah we had that problem teaching needlepoint at, at the library you know we, some ladies just they were just getting it and then others they were like Okay, wait a second. You're confusing me. So, and you, so you know, you had to back up and and try a different mm-hmm. method. Um, so, so for yourself, do you like taking classes, or do you like learning from a book, or do you just pop in YouTube and watch a good YouTube? I don't do much with YouTube. Um, the, other than watching Fiber Talk, because I love seeing the photos they get put up and and. Uh, ooing and eyeing over those. Um, I, I can go either way. It really depends on what it is. Most of the techniques that I do, though, I learned because I took a class. It was something that piqued my interest, and I took. I went and took a class. Um, from there, I can go to a book, but I am more of a visual learner, mm-hmm. so I need really good diagrams and pictures. And that's why Janice Love's Hardanger books are so wonderful in my world. <laughs> she has wonderful designs and, and talks you written as well as the pictorial. Um, I can be a little spatially challenged sometimes, so a written description is not always the best way for me to go. Yeah, that, that whole how people learn thing is is so critical and at the core of, of any class. It doesn't matter what it is. And and good teachers are the ones who realize that you need to offer the, the basically the three okay. different ways that people learn as yeah. a package so everybody in the class can benefit. And if you know if you can identify the students who are visual learners uh, you can you can get them over a hump in a hurry, or or you know people who just read, just hand them the stuff, they'll figure it out. Uh, just get out of their way. But yeah, it's it's so critical in in any kind of teaching is understanding that and identifying the students and and then having that approach. And it's a challenge. That's a challenge as a teacher to also be able to offer uh, 
either a verbal description or uh, images or the written word and make sure you offer all of that. Yeah, it's so, so critical. In the, um, the Swedish weaving that I taught recently, I knew with the charting software that Cindy has, because she does my charting for me, he was not going to be able to put the arrows in to show the direction the needle needed to travel to execute some of the basic stitches. But the classroom had a whiteboard. So I put the hash marks up for the, for the floats. And then with another color, I indicated with an arrow. I drew the stitch and put the arrow. So they knew which way their needle needed to be going to do the serpentine stitch, to do a loop stitch. Um, and a couple of the women in the class took a pencil and on the pattern drew in the arrows so they would have a, a reminder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Make notes, make notes. Right. So when you, yeah. when you go home <laughs> and the teacher yes. isn't there. Yep. Yeah. Well, one of the things is that um, Cindy and I both put our emails out. We also uh, let people know that we're going to be stitching in public at the following places whenever. And we encourage them. If you if you have a problem, come and find us. Get in touch with us and we'll make arrangements to go get together with you. Where we're both retired, we can do that. <laughs> right. Yep. Right now. Um, yes. That's the other thing, too, is to let them understand that once we get you started on this, we're not going to cast you adrift. Yeah. You still have a lifeline if you need it. You guys have both And my greatest satisfaction. uh, Go ahead. I'm sorry. My greatest satisfaction as a teacher is having them come back with the piece finished. You guys have both done some form of stitch in public. What, What is that experience like? It can be a lot of fun. You need to be, um, you need to be a little outgoing, not afraid to talk to people, to strangers when they walk up. Um, I'm notorious for seeing someone stand off a little ways, but staring at what we're doing. So I'll look up, smile, and then wave them over. Mm. Come see. Get a better look. Um, there are some times where I don't get a lot of stitching done. I do a lot of talking. <laughs> But it's helping to foster this art form that I am passionate about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, as soon as they say, well, I just do cross stitch. I say, we all started there or, or we started with this. And we laugh and we call cross stitch is our gateway drug. Right. <laughs> right. And, and I think people sometimes are afraid to to try something, oh, just a little different, just a little more difficult. And so if you kind of give them a little nudge, it's it's kind of fun to see them, their eyes open up and say, oh, wait, I can do this. This isn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. And get and them going on something. most of these techniques, when you break them down step by step, they're not difficult. And, you've, and I found that... Um, stitches that I techniques that I used for other things uh, blanket stitch and buttonhole stitch things like that I've used that in so many other techniques that I've done yeah that's what I that's what I love about this hobby is is uh, you know people will say well I just do cross stitch there's try some other techniques because it will make you a better cross stitcher but it also it just opens up so many uh, different avenues to explore that um, and and I think if you it's one of those where if you do different techniques I don't think you I think you improve overall and you can't always say that about other activities that uh, uh, this is one where if if you do other stitches it'll help you better understand how threads behave and when you go back to your favorite technique, whatever it is, I think you're a smarter and better stitcher for it. Yeah, taking hard anger and and learning to, to get over my fear of cutting fabric after <laughs> I'd done all the stitches made it so much easier to go do hem stitching, to do the drawn thread work, 
to do the reticella um, and the fillet work. Mm-hmm. It was just, okay, now I've got to cut these threads out. No big deal anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big, that's a big hurdle right there. Cutting the ground cloth. Yep. <laughs> it is massive. It is a massive hurdle. I broke out in a cold sweat and my hands shook. <laughs> yep. And I had to get up and calm myself because there was Linda Driscoll, who was my teacher for heart anger, standing at the head of the class saying, you can do this. It's not as scary as you think it is. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. I remember the first time I cut it, I was convinced the whole ground cloth was just going to unravel right in my hands. There's no way this is staying together. Yeah. Yeah. It did. <laughs> it works. And then when people say, even if you cut the wrong thing, it's okay. You can repair it. Fortunately, I've never had yeah. to do that. But holy smokes, that's, um, yeah. Oh, I just had to do it recently. I I, I clipped a corner on a um, piece of hard hanger with the blanket stitch corner. So I had to go back and very carefully <laughs> re-stitch. Rescue it. Yep. Yep. Uh, all right, uh, let's end it right here. We, this was fun. We got to do more of this. So, um, Robin, thanks so much for doing this, and uh, hopefully, people gained a little something, if nothing else, uh, a little confidence to go out and do some experimenting. So, thanks, Robin, for making the time, and thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks. Thank you. 